This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Capnography by Craig Smallwood. Hello, my name is Craig Smallwood. I'm a respiratory therapist here at Boston Children's Hospital. Today I'm going to talk to you about capnography or end tidal CO2 monitoring. Uses of capnography. Carbon dioxide monitoring is an important tool for several reasons, and the proper usage and interpretation of its data can aid clinicians in determining problems and identifying solutions quickly for critically ill children. Uses of capnography include endotracheal tube or tracheostomy tube placement verification, ventilation monitoring, so hyper or hypoventilation, as well as early detection of life-threatening events such as apnea or severe airway obstruction. In addition, we can assess disease severity and CPR quality. Definitions. Strictly speaking, capnography refers to the graphical display of the partial pressure or concentration of carbon dioxide plotted against time. Capnometry, on the other hand, refers to the display of the numeric value of the fraction or partial pressure of carbon dioxide during a normal respiratory cycle. However, when we're in the ICU, we typically refer to capnography to include all of the interpretation, not only the graph, but the numeric display, but as well as the technology. End tidal CO2 refers to the carbon dioxide detected at end exhalation using a CO2 monitor. This can be displayed as a partial pressure, millimeters mercury, or a concentration of fractions or percentages. And of course, the partial pressure of arterial oxygen is an important concept when we talk about capnography as well. Normal end tidal carbon dioxide across a population from infants to adults is typically zero to five millimeters mercury below the arterial CO2. In adults and pediatric patients, this can be anywhere from three to five millimeters mercury below, or in infants and smaller pediatric patients, anywhere from zero to three millimeters mercury below the arterial. To understand why there is a gradient at all, let's take a close look at an illustration of a normal exhaled tidal volume. An exhaled tidal volume can be thought of to have two components. The first component is the dead space volume. That is, the portion of the exhaled breath that does not interact with arterial blood and therefore does not contain CO2 or participate in gas exchange. There are three uh, components that comprise the dead space volume. The first is the airway or the conducting airway's dead space. This is usually the volume of the trachea, the right and left mainstem bronchi, and any other conducting airways that don't have alveoli. We also have the mechanical dead space, which is the volume of any adapters, including the CO2 adapter and the endotracheal tube that are in between the breathing circuit and the patient's airway. We also have alveolar dead space. Because the lung is not a perfect system, there are some components of alveoli that are not participating in gas exchange. We also have the alveolar volume. This is any portion of the exhaled tidal volume that is participating in gas exchange and therefore contains CO2. You can see in the illustration that there's a portion of the breath, the dead space volume, that does not contain CO2. Relative to the whole breath, in health, this is a small fraction of the breath. The alveolar volume here is the bulk of the tidal volume and contains CO2. If we suppose that this child had a normal arterial partial pressure of CO2, 40 millimeters mercury, the alveolar volume would probably have a CO2 partial pressure similar to 40. 
Now when we combine these two volumes, the dead space volume and the alveolar volume, as the child exhales, you'll see that when we read the end tidal CO2 on the monitor, the number is going to be smaller than the arterial because it mixes with the dead space volume and we have some number in between 35 or 38 millimeters mercury. Phases of carbon dioxide waveforms. Let's take a look at a normal capnogram of a healthy pediatric patient. Here we're going to look at CO2, which is plotted on the vertical axis, and time, which is plotted on the horizontal axis. Each CO2 wave can be broken down into four distinct parts or phases. Phase zero occurs during inspiration. As a child inhales fresh gas from the mechanical ventilator, it passes by the CO2 monitor sensor down the endotracheal tube and into the lungs. You can see here that the concentration of CO2 is zero during this phase. Phase one begins as inspiration ends and exhalation begins. The volume contained in this phase is mechanical dead space mixed with some anatomic dead space of the conducting airways. The partial pressure of CO2 during phase one will be zero or very close to zero. Phase two, the next phase, is sometimes referred to as the mixing phase. It contains a mixture of anatomic and alveolar dead space gas mixed with alveolar gas, which is high in CO2 concentrations. You can identify it readily on the capnogram by identifying this rapid rise in CO2 until the plateau phase. The third and final phase of the capnogram is the alveolar plateau phase. The volume contained in this phase contains alveolar gas. You can see here that there is basically no movement or really observable changes in CO2 concentration from the beginning to the end of the breath. The end tidal CO2 can be identified usually at the end but sometimes, depending on the device, we'll just look at the highest level of CO2 observed during the entire exhalation. The end tidal CO2 is the number that will be displayed and labeled as end tidal CO2 on the monitor and should be reported during practice. Interpreting carbon dioxide waveforms and capnograms. We're now going to walk through interpreting capnograms in patients of different ages and physiologies. First, we will look at a healthy newborn capnogram as compared to a healthy pediatric capnogram. You can see here that during inspiration there's no CO2. Phase one begins with no CO2, and then we see the characteristic sharp rise in CO2 as we begin to exhale. But then as we come to the plateau phase, it's either very short or probably non-existent. This is in contrast to the normal CO2 of an adult or larger pediatric patient, and occurs because the tidal volumes, expiratory times are very short, and the respiratory rates are fairly high in this patient. Now we're going to compare capnograms in a normal child with healthy lungs versus a child with severe obstruction. In a child with severe obstruction, the important thing to note here is the prolonged phase two, the mixing phase, and a very short or even absent phase three, that is, no alveolar plateau phase. If you note this on your child, you should expect the gradient between the arterial and the end tidal CO2 to be very large. In this case, it would be important to note this gradient in trying to use the end tidal CO2 as a surrogate for arterial CO2 monitoring. I've seen children in the ICU with gradients anywhere from 10 millimeters mercury up to 40 or 50 millimeters mercury. Next, we have a child who's rebreathing carbon dioxide. This can be one of the easiest, but also most subtle and difficult to identify. You see here that the shape of the waveform can be fairly normal. However, in phase zero, during inspiration, we see that there's a proportion of CO2 that is being inspired by the patient. This can be anywhere from one to as high as 10 millimeters mercury, depending on the issue. Many times the solution to this problem can be removing any adapters or extra connections in between the ventilator circuit and the patient's endotracheal tube, as this increased dead space will contribute 
to rebreathing CO2. Next, we're going to look at detecting patient effort with the capnogram. In addition to looking at not only the pressure, the flow, and the volume waveform for detecting patient effort, you can look at the CO2 tracing as we have here. You'll see that the patient inhales, begins to exhale, and then during the alveolar plateau has a slight dip before the next inspiration begins. What can happen during mechanical ventilation is that a child is fairly sedated or sometimes even sleepy and their efforts aren't large enough to trigger the ventilator. In this case, you'll see the slight dip during exhalation that would be characteristic of patient ventilator dyssynchrony. In this case, you may want to revisit your trigger sensitivity on the ventilator and adjust it as necessary. Next, we have a child with one of my favorite findings in the capnogram due to cardiac oscillations. You can see here again, we begin things normally with the phase zero, one, two, and even phase three looks pretty normal until we get to this portion of the capnogram that it has a characteristic descending wave pattern. You'll notice that these waves appear to be regular. This can occur as a small amount of gas is moved or oscillated by the heart as it contracts during controlled ventilation. This is not necessarily a concerning finding during typical controlled ventilation with one important caveat. If the child has a chest tube, especially if active air leak is present, or if the chest tube is to vacuum, then you may have a similar finding on the capnogram that will be occurring because of the amount of volume that's being bled out the chest tube and not through the airways. Lastly, and very importantly, I'd like to spend just a moment talking about intubation and using CO2 monitoring to verify placement. Once the laryngologist has placed the breathing tube, you can attach the CO2 monitor and manual bag and deliver a few breaths. You'll want to pay close attention to the capnogram. If the CO2 signal is zero or very close to zero, the endotracheal tube may be placed in the esophagus. It's important to note that you should deliver at least three to four breaths before making this determination as some CO2 may be found in the stomach and fool you. If the breathing tube has been placed appropriately in the trachea, you should get a nice phase zero, one, two, three, just like a normal capnogram, and that will confirm placement of your endotracheal tube. Another important use for capnography is for monitoring during chest compressions. The AHA guidelines for ACLS recommend using quantitative waveform capnography in intubated patients during CPR. PALS guidelines also recommend using capnography for this purpose. This allows providers to monitor CPR quality, optimize chest compressions, and detect return of spontaneous circulation. As long as the patient is not overventilated, the antidal CO2 measurement is a surrogate for chest compression quality. High quality chest compressions result in a low normal antidal CO2 level, generally in the range of 20 to 25 or greater, is associated with high quality chest compressions. Low antidal CO2 levels may indicate low cardiac output and pulmonary blood flow. Per PALS guidelines, measurement of an entitled CO2 value less than 15 millimeters of mercury during CPR indicates that the quality of chest compressions needs improvement. Furthermore, a sharp rise of entitled CO2 to normal or higher levels is associated with return of spontaneous circulation. This increase is an early indicator of improvement in blood flow. That concludes our video on capnography. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.